It's easy to go through life with blinders on, just focusing on your very next step. But today's guest, Phil Weiss of Apprise Wealth Management, talks about why it's important not to go through life with blinders on, why it's so important to think about the future, not try to relive the past, to have big dreams. He shares some specific examples from his incredible career of how opening himself up to new possibilities have created opportunities for him to serve more people, to be a great dad, to really live the life that he was meant to live, that he truly enjoys. And I know you'll learn from it. Listen in. You're listening to the Truest Fan Podcast. And now, here's your host, Rob Brown. Okay, welcome. Um, Welcome back to the Truest Fan Podcast. Rob Brown here um, with my special guest, Phil Weiss, who is the founder of Apprise Wealth Management. Um, In full disclosure, Phil and I have known each other for a number of years. Um, He's a client of mine, so I always enjoy talking with Phil, and we tend to talk longer than we plan, uh, but I still promise to keep this episode in a reasonable amount of time. Welcome aboard, Phil. Glad to uh, have you here. Happy to be here, Robin. Thanks for having me. Oh, my uh, my pleasure. I'm glad, uh, or I'm sure that our audience will, will learn a lot by our conversation today, because I always learn a lot when I talk to you. If you've been listening to this podcast, you know that I like to start out by asking my guests who their favorite baseball team is, because one of the inspirations for the whole Truist fan idea for me is being a fan of the Cleveland Indians. And as much as I hate to ask this question of Phil, I will. Hey, Phil, who's your favorite uh, baseball team? Well, I know you know the answer, and I know you're not a, a fan of the answer, but my favorite baseball team is the Yankees. It's something that I always tell people my my grandfather on my father's side of the family came to the United States from Austria in the 20s. They ended up in Newark, New Jersey, which was later of home for a farm team of the Yankees. So being a fan of the Yankees in my family goes all the way back to Ruth and Garrick. Wow. So I, actually, I've never heard that story before, but that's one of the things I do love about fans, um, especially uh, sports fans, when you hear that they have you know that family tradition, it goes way back. And it's not like those bandwagon fans that uh, do exist for some teams, uh, maybe even uh, the Yankees. You know, they say of the Indians, it's not a real bandwagon sort of team or the Guardians. I'm sorry. It's not a bandwagon sort of team since it's they've, they haven't won the World Series in a long, long time, but we're working on it this year. Well, anyway, great to have you, Phil, even though you're a Yankees fan and uh, they are killing it this year. I, I was talking to the um, a guy in the post office the other day who I know is a Yankees fan, and I said, well, I think they're like 35 games above 500. He, and he goes, no, 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 no. 37. You better get that right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think it's 34 now. Oh. Well, good. <laughs> it's going in the right direction. <laughs> I still think the lead is, uh, is is big enough. They'll probably hold on. But anyway, enough yes. about baseball. So um, I love to start the podcast. We kind of dig into discussion topics to let my guest lead by sharing some you know piece of wisdom or pieces of wisdom or knowledge that you've gained over the years, maybe from uh, a family member or a mentor that you that you kind of carry with you and the things that you do and and caring for your family family or running your business and taking care of your clients. Is there is there a piece of, of knowledge, a nugget of wisdom that really sticks with you, Phil? I think there's two things. So one, I come at that from a little bit different angle, I think, because I've blogged about this before, talking about my experience.
parents growing up and there's always two kind of role models you can have. And my role model, especially when it came to finances, wasn't the best. So I learned, I think, how to do things right by seeing what not to do. So like that's one thing that just sticks with me is that sometimes you have to kind of figure it out on, on your own. But then the other thing, and I was I talk about this with my kids a lot too, is the idea if I look at my career, it's changed a lot over time. I started as a CPA and a tax guy. I've been a writer, I've been an analyst. Now I have my firm. And so the it's the idea that when we go through life, we don't want to have blinders on and look down this narrow tunnel. Because I would say there could be something way out to the side that you're not going to see if you have those blinders on. So you want to make sure that you're open and take that big picture view instead of taking a narrow focus. Yeah. Wow. Two um, two really great points. Um, I'm going I'm to dive into both of them maybe a little bit more deeply. You talked about sometimes you learn things by watching other people do them incorrectly. And that you know, kind of cause you to really think about what's the right way to do that. And in the line of business you're in, you know, advising clients about their financial plans and their investments. Do you do you see that sometimes with the clients that you serve that that they've been going down, you know, a wrong path and you help them learn how you can help them by pointing out maybe some of the mistakes that they've made? Is that part of what you do and learn from that? It can be. And it's one of my favorite stories from the clients that I've worked with. If I think back to when I started one of my early clients, I had this couple come to me and really no other advisor was really willing to talk to them when they looked at their situation. And you're starting out and it's easier to just say yes to almost anybody because you're trying to build a business. And they came and they had credit card debt and they had all this student loan debt and their finances were kind of a mess. And I went to that, but their credit was was still good enough that they could do some things to change it because they were paying their bills. They just weren't paying them enough. So I helped them. We I recommended a 0% interest credit card and a whole host of other steps. And I remember the next time that we looked to do an update of where they were, I was like, wow, you guys are doing such a great job. I'm so proud of you. And they're like, Phil, we couldn't have done it without you. And then later on, as we've continued to develop this, you know, the thing is, Phil, we needed somebody to show us what to do. We didn't know what we were supposed to do. And you've helped us figure out what it is we're supposed to do. So now they've moved, which was one of their goals to move back to where her family is. They have a baby due this month. We're talking about saving for college for their baby so that their child doesn't have that same start with all this student loan debt and everything else, you know, while their credit card debt is gone, she is a public service employee. So eventually her debt will be, the rest of her student loan debt will be forgiven. They're in such a different place. That's definitely an example of where that has been the case. Yes. Right. So it wasn't as though they made giant mistakes. They just weren't on the right track and you helped improve the track that they were on. And that, that made a huge difference. And I think sometimes we can learn about a lot from stuff like that in life, right? Where we we're going along. We know we're not robbing banks every day to pay the bills, but it's not quite right. And just those small adjustments can make big, big changes. Yeah, that's right. I mean, you think about it when you get a credit card bill and it says there's a minimum payment due. You say, okay, that's what I have to pay. But if you just pay your minimum payment, that balance is going to stay there forever. So it's like the idea that we're going to pick a strategy. And that was part of this too. What's our strategy to pay down these cards? We're going to pay them down one at a time, but we're going to pick, we're going to use a certain method to pick which one. And we're going to pay that off and then we're going to attack the next one. And so like that was all part of it instead of just paying a little bit to each. 
Right, right. Yeah. And just, again, it seems like such a simple thing. A lot of folks who are listening to this podcast may be financial advisors and they're probably nodding their heads saying, yep, I've run into those situations before where I've helped somebody out. Maybe it wasn't even a client, but somebody that came to me and said, you know, give me a little advice. What's something I can do? And you just like go, it, it, it seems natural to you. It seems like second nature to be able to give that sort of sort of advice. But but kind of switching switching topics, I, I love I love what you brought up about blinders and not having blinders on because one of the things that I know about you, and maybe you can even share a little bit of of your history and how you got into the uh, starting the business that you have now. What a prize is five five years old, six years old, and but you didn't come at it necessarily the way a lot of advisors get into the business. You have a, a writing background. You wrote for the Motley Fool. Um, you were an oil analyst. Talk talk a little bit about how how you had your blinders off as you've made this this career journey. Sure. So it really started back in college. I talked about. I mentioned there were financial difficulties growing up, and I had in my mind that I was going to be a doctor. And I decided to go to Duke because I thought that would give me the best chance to get to medical school. My father had said, hey, you go where you want. I'll take care of it. And then he didn't. And I did a lot to stay in school. I even went and spoke to the president of the university when they were cutting student loans. And he said, nobody's going to have to leave the school. And I had that conversation. But then at the end of my junior year, I still owed them money. And we decided it was time, you know, I was going to leave, earn the money I could to come back. And I would go back and I was going to be a psychology major and and a doctor, but then got out of school I ended up moving across the country. I moved to Arizona. And when I was worked for a couple of years out there, had enough money to pay off my debt, I was ready to go back to school. I Rutgers doesn't offer accounting degrees, and I decided that's what I was going to do. So I applied to Rutgers. I applied to University of Arizona because I actually could get residency in either place. Decided Rutgers was going to be better for me because it'd be closer to my family. I wanted to come back. I came back, and then I started in the tax department for Deloitte. I worked as a tax professional. I ended up specializing in international tax research and planning. Decided I didn't want to do that anymore. I felt like in my cynical mode. I said I was telling companies how to shuffle paper around to increase the size of the national debt. And that just wasn't really what I wanted to do. I had started writing for The Motley Fool, as you mentioned. They used to have online portfolios. I helped manage one of those. And I really loved to do that. And it was something I would thought about before I started my career journey. I found out about the CFA program and said, ah, that's my ticket out of the tax department. So I decided I was going to go for my CFA. Right before I started that, I got a job with T. Rowe Price. And that's where I worked as a more as a writer. I was a writer and an editor for T. Rowe. Finished the CFA process. Ended up leaving T. Row and going to work for an independent research provider where I was an equity analyst. I covered oil and gas stocks for seven years, left there, went to work for another financial advisor where at the end of the day, it just wasn't a good fit philosophically in terms of the approach. And I left and I also, sometimes I get this cynical side. So I said, I decided to wa- stop working for idiots. I was going to become the idiot because I was going to open up my own business and do my own thing. <laughs> yeah. Well, is is um, <laughs> I'm not just saying this because we work together, but you are far from an idiot. But I, I love that story, that journey, because even though I guess in a way, most of it was tied in some way to numbers and finances, what you did throughout the journey was very different. And, and as you shared the experiences that you wanted through it, you you didn't have blinders on you didn't say okay i don't like what i'm doing and i'm going to stick with it to hope it gets better you opened up your horizons you looked at the parts of what you did that you liked and enjoyed which led you to the cfa which kind of led you down the other path uh, i think that's that's really uh, it's really important well thanks and and looking back like i'm so glad it worked out the way that it did i wouldn't trade any of those experiences along the way because they all have helped to get me to where i am today right Right. So talk about that. I think you mentioned when you were talking about um, not 
going around life with blinders. How's that, you know, how's that apply kind of getting away from the business and the way that you mentor your, your children because, or in your, in the family and, and how you encourage them. Is that a big part of how you teach them as a dad? It, it is part of it. It's like my second son right now, he's a computer science kid and he's interning with Amazon this summer. He wants to do coding. He's working as part of AWS, Amazon Web Services. And we've been talking to him about like, do you think you want to go to grad school? He's like, I don't know. I really want to code and I don't want to deal with a lot of people and all that. And like, but you got to keep your mind open. That can help create other opportunities and things like that. Just like if I think back as my kids growing up, I coached in, I coached a lot of sports teams and I coached them in all different sports because again, you got to try out different things and see what works best for you. And I've always encouraged my kids to have to the idea that try different things out, see what works. I mean, we have another son right now. He's working for our, a, our auto mechanic for the summer. He wants to be a mechanical engineer. He wanted to learn how to do things like change the oil, change the brakes in a car. So that's what he's doing for the summer. So always encourage you to do different things and have different interests. And when I think about some of the um, the concepts um, that come out of the truest fan, one of them is the idea of believing in yourself. So I think when you're going about life and you're encouraging, you're, you're trying not to have blinders on yourself and maybe encouraging others not to have blinders on that's that's a big part of it they have you have to believe in yourself you have to believe that even if you don't take the next few steps the way that you may have thought that you would because you opened yourself up to a new possibility that if you stop and say you know I can do this because I, I do believe in myself. I do believe in my ability to, to make a change, make an adjustment um, that I don't have to necessarily follow that track that my, you know, my dad had for me or that, you know, that I laid out for myself. Do you think, do you think that's a part of it? I do. I mean, I, and I take it a step further too. Like even when I started the business, one, one thing that was, you know, I talked about not having blinders, but I do think you need to think ahead. And so one of the things that I think has helped me in terms of growing my business is always thinking ahead trying to visualize what the future might look like because it gives me goals and places to move towards. Doesn't mean that everything has to go exactly that way. Like if I think about where my business has gone, it's met my initial goals. Yes, but it, it's different than how I thought it would be. But it, I, oh, I definitely think it's important to look ahead and think about and envision what your future might look like because I think it's a lot easier to achieve that future if you do that. Yeah, and I think that's that's a great point on two levels. One, I think too often, maybe even especially during a time like this where um, it's, for financial professionals, there's been a disruption in businesses because of what's going on with the markets and you know the, the wind of in the sales that, that they've had because the markets have gone so well for so long has kind of gone away. And um, I think in some instances, there can be maybe a little bit of a lack of belief in those dreams and looking ahead that that's really important to to go back and, and reevaluate. You know, we talk about this all the time in the work that we do together. You got to really think about what that future is that you want for yourself and your business and your clients and your family and the other things that you care about, because that that's the North Star that keeps you pointed in the right direction. So I think I think that's one of the big pieces that came out of what you just said for me. But the other is that you broke it back. You also said then when you are working on those things that you know that you need to do this month or this quarter, you can kind of bang those up against that big dream and say, you know, these are the steps I need to do today. And I'm not doing it just for no reason. I'm doing it because I know those are steps in my in my process. Does that does that make sense? Are you ready to discover your true purpose, live with impact, and build an ever greater legacy? Then you need to make time for what truly matters most. 
Go to truestfan.com slash challenge to begin the free Truest Fan 7-Day Quick Start. It does. And, and the other thing too, that I, I do life planning with my clients because mm-hmm. I like to tell them that it's not about beating the market. It's about living the life that you want. And so I actually had a conversation like that with a new client this morning. And you start out with kind of like a design your life type question. And so now it's like, money's not an object. Tell me, what would you do? What do you want to do with your time? What's important to you? What matters? And what do you want to accomplish? And then we narrow it down a little bit. And now you go to the doctor and He tells you you have five to 10 years left. We don't know when that last day is going to be, but we've got five to 10 years left. So what do you want to do in the time that you have left? And then you get down to the last question, which is always the hardest one. Now you go to the doctor and today's the day. Doctor tells you, unfortunately, this is your last day. And now it's, what did you miss? What didn't you get to do? And some clients really go full force into this. And it can get, it can be a very emotional set of questions, but it gives me a chance to get to know my clients and what matters to them. Because then when we build their plan, those are the things that we want to make sure in. Right. Because as you're making, um, adjustments and decisions, maybe thinking about, you know, risks that you're taking or you know, different strategies that you might have or what they might be spending money on. If they have maybe some new big financial opportunity that they want to take advantage of, you can bounce that against that life plan that you help them uh, form. Because I would imagine that that conversation that you just mentioned more often than not takes one conversation because it's really hard to stop and think about some of those questions because they're really, they can be tough questions to um, to answer. They can be very tough. You know, I had somebody here a couple of weeks ago that I did, I went through that with and she got very emotional and her husband was with her. And as she was answering the question, she could see that he reached over and held her hand to comfort her as they were going through it. And then when she finished, she said, I think other than my husband, you're the only person I've ever told any of these things to. So it's, it's a lot. If you really want to, it can be a really good opportunity to explore and get deep into some things that really matter to you and can become very emotional. Right. Cause it's, it's easy, whether you're, you know, like me and you're working with business owners and helping them set their plans for the future, just to go through the steps, right? These are, you go from here to here, to here, to here. And it's very logical, very mechanical. You can do that with a financial plan with a client. You know, first we're gonna, you know, get your retirement number, then we're gonna get your, you know, the college number for your kids, and then we're gonna think about giving, you know, some money away when you pass on. And and it is you know, as important as those things are, if they really aren't attached to to what you really want, what that picture of the future really is, you know, even important things like retirement and college education and philanthropic giving can just be mechanical steps and not really living your life and planning it in a way that makes the most of it. I completely agree. And if I look to when I do a financial plan, there's always a one page summary that comes and you'll like the top left corner, which is to me like something that your eyes are going to go to first. And that's what is most important to you. And I remember a long time ago, you went through an exercise with people like me and talked, asked us what was most important right. to you. So I always make sure that that's kind of that focal point on every plan because it all revolves around that. Yeah. Yeah. Because the, um, that, as I said a little earlier, that's kind of the North Star. That's what it all works toward. And that plan could be really far out into the future. You know, a lot of times when I'm talking about it with my clients, we're, we're starting out at like 10 years because that gets the number crunchers. Um, no, uh, no offense, <laughs> Mr. Number Cruncher. <laughs> gets the number crunchers away. You can, it's harder to calculate like 10 years out than it is like the next quarter. So you really start to think about it. But it's but it's really important because I think if, you know, if we talk about this whole idea 
idea of wanting to live our best lives and be the best versions of ourselves, part of that attaches to accomplishing, you know, big things that may um, in day-to-day conversation almost be unspeakable because we're just not comfortable talking about those big dreams and those big desires that we have. That's right. Like I said, it can be very hard for people to have those, but it's also important. Sometimes it's interesting too. I go through those questions and we get to the last one and something changed and they don't realize it till we get to the end. I'm like, you know, you talked about all these other things, but now when I asked you at the end, like I remember this one woman, she was a younger woman and I asked her this and by the time she got the last one, it was all about her relationship with her dad and making sure that he was older and that he was taken care of and all that and she wanted to do what she could and like she hadn't mentioned a lot of that earlier. Some people it's very consistent, yeah. but some people as they start to think and they go through it, it changes. Yeah, no, no, for sure, for sure. You know, one of the things that I try to do when I'm helping people with those questions is just ask why. Why did they say the last thing that they said and ask them, you know, why did you say that? Tell me more. You know, I've not heard it that way before. And just just allow allow time to think, because I think if we're being true to ourselves and those things that we want to accomplish, that it can't just be because, you know, we have this image of what things should look like based on TV ad that we saw, you know, of like, you know, two perfectly silver haired uh, folks who are retirement, you know, dancing down the um, the beach with the orchestra following, following behind. <laughs> no, I think that's right. Yeah. So um, definitely think that's right. Just a few more questions. Um, so tell me what what really makes you smile? Because I think one of, is 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 the listen to the podcast. Know one of my favorite Truths fan ideas is this idea that we all need to do a good job of offering smiles and kind words to other people to pick people up. So what what makes you smile? And are there things that you do in your life to to really make sure that the folks around you are happy and smiling? I think my family makes me smile. You know, I think back. I was telling somebody this the other day when. Father's Day came this year and I went to my kids and they said, what do you want to do, dad? And I have three sons and a daughter. My daughter doesn't really bike ride and she was going to do something else. But my three boys and I, I said, I want to go on a bike ride. And that's what we did. We went and rode about 25 miles on a near from our house to this nearby trail and up the trail, spending time with the, with my family matters. You know, I'll go play disc golf with my kids. I, I cook and I do all the cooking in the house and having everybody sit down for a meal together and listening to my kids interact. And that's something that changed a lot with the pandemic. All my kids were home for the pandemic, even though our oldest is 25, but all the kids have been home. And their relationship changed in good ways during the pandemic. So like in that way, I feel like we were blessed by the pandemic because it brought my kids closer together, like kids that you thought they were always at each other. They weren't. They were sharing more and they were having good conversations. And when we get to those conversations, we had game night at one point during the pandemic. I taught them how to play Texas Hold'em. <laughs> and we would have my wife, my daughter, all the boys, we would play Texas Hold'em. We didn't, we didn't play like the winner of the last hand won. And if somebody got out, somebody would give them chips. So everybody always played. It wasn't about winning, but just the interaction that came from playing. Those kind of things make me smile. Yeah, that's great. That's a, you know, it's a great story because, you know, you not only were, um, you know, just because of the age of your kids, in, uh, in addition to them maybe constantly being on each other a little bit as they were getting older, they were, I guess you all were also in a way planning for everybody to be away because I think your, your daughter now is finishing high school. So this will be one, one more year of high school or two, two more years. Okay. All right. I was, I was, I was uh, sorry. I was aging her too fast. I don't want to do that. I don't want to make you frown. <laughs> no, please. <laughs> but anyway, your, oh. as your sons were kind of going off and spreading out. So you had this combination of that. That was a, this was, this could have been a time when you were working on separations 
and living more apart and you came together. So I think that's really, um, that's really great. And that, that you were, it sounds like you were all very intentional about really kind of rooting each other on and being around each other and caring for each other because of the special circumstances of the pandemic, but also the special circumstances of, of where they were in their lives and going in different places. Lots of, there's lots of change in the air. Absolutely right. And like I said, I think we were very fortunate to have that time because I, we got time with our kids that we wouldn't have gotten otherwise. Cool. And that really was important. So um, like I said, just a couple more questions. So, um, and one's kind of a combo question. So, so who is an ideal client for your business? When you talk about this process that you go through of helping people, who's that ideal client? And if somebody is interested in working with you, kind of how do they, what's the best way to learn more about you and contact you? So I work with a lot of female led households that can be where sometimes it's because the, the wife is really taking the lead in the relationship. Sometimes the husband has been doing everything all their lives and now they've gotten to this point where kind of like what I talked about with us for and we've talked about kids are getting ready to leave and you're start, starting to try to figure out what's next. And she says to him, so we've been saving money. What does that mean? What are we going to do? And he's like, I don't know. I've just been saving and I don't know what, what we can do. I don't know where that puts us. And so then they find me. So a lot of female-led households, usually it's dual income households where the wife has been working too, but she's also been taking care of the kids and all that. And so I trace that back to, you know, if I go back to the beginning, the stories about my household growing up and my mother, she got breast cancer at the age of 50 one and she passed away at the age of 53 and we found out even more about how bad things were financially and I was trying to take care of my mom and help her out she asked me to do that and I did but unfortunately she didn't live that much longer so I view it as I'm still trying to help my mom by helping women that are in situations like she was maybe not as bad but still they need some help figuring out the financial ends of their lives in terms of where you can find me so I my website is prizewealth a p p r i s e wealth.com go to my website, I blog, you can read Confessions of a Financial Advisor, tells more about my story. You can subscribe to my blog. You can reach out to me through my website. That's the easiest way. Okay, perfect. Yeah. And I would encourage anybody who's felt that something a little bit different about the way that Phil serves his clients. Um, and, and I think it is in a very, in a special way. And Phil is also a prolific uh, writer. So there's lots of great um, stuff on his blog. In fact, you just released an ebook aimed directly at those female-led households. It's not that you don't work with people other than female-led households, but you've just kind of gone down that path because that's been something that's been very rewarding to you and and not just from your side, but from the stories that you get back uh, from your clients who work with you and, uh, and appreciate the way that you approach them. Yeah. I, I mean, I love when I get, when I hear from a client, there's nothing more rewarding than when a client says, thanks for doing this, or you really helped. Like that, that to me is a really special thing. And it's what, I love what I do. And when I get those notice, those notes like that, it, it reminds me of why I do it. You know, I, the other day I was talking to my wife and I called, I didn't say they were my clients. I told her they were my people. <laughs> And that's really right. how I view it. These are people that I'm here to help right. take care of. Yeah, yeah. No, and I, I, I hear that in the way that you reference the opportunities that you have to serve people and help them accomplish little things and and big things. You are you are a truest fan of your clients for sure. And I'm sure it flips back around the other way. So as we close today, you know, we talked a little bit about sometimes you learn by watching negative examples and like like what not to do. And we talked about not having blinders on as you approach 
different things. We talked about the importance of, of dreaming and kind of taking those dreams back to what you do on a day-to-day basis. So we've covered a lot of ground. Is there any part of that that you might want to emphasize as we close the call or maybe add to it that just gives our audience a chance to, to take even more away from our discussion? So I think that ties into something that I've talked a lot about lately because as part of that whole thing with growing up, both my sister and I stopped talking to my father for many years. And then right before COVID set in, we reconnected. Fortunately, we didn't get to see each other that much, but we communicated on a regular basis. And as I thought about things, and one thing that made that better, and I think it all ties into the this whole concept is I like to look forward and not back. It helps me have a better outlook on life and it helps me not worry about like things that happened in the past. And it's like, I talked about the fact that I went to Duke and there's sometimes I say, damn, I went to Duke for three years and I didn't graduate. It wasn't because I, f- I didn't flunk out, but I didn't graduate for all these financial reasons. And I say, but if I had done that, I would have, I almost positive. I never would have met my wife. I never would have had my kids that I have now. My life would have been so different and I'm happy with how it turned out. So there's no reason to look back and lament on those things. Even though I can talk about them, that doesn't mean I lament on them. It's important to just keep looking forward and not back right? and not worry about the past and let's go forward. And, and it's the difference between learning from what's happened in the past and using that constructively and versus letting that be a recurring theme that could potentially make you think that you're not worthy of the opportunities that you have in your life and the opportunity that you have to serve other people. There's a difference um, in the way that you use your past and look to the future. I think that's really true. And that's something I think it's changed for me over the years. And I think meeting my wife had a big part in that because she was more of a positive person than I was, I think, when we met. And seeing that and seeing her interactions made me go that way. And I think that made a big difference. You know, one of the things, and and I'll close on this, Phil, that I think makes you a really special person is that it's that quiet, positive perseverance that you have. You are, you know, you are a real cheerleader for your clients, for your family, for the Yankees. Maybe not quiet for them. I I haven't seen you at a game, but you're just, you have this quiet, confident, positive attitude about you. And I think that's just a great way to go about life because, you know, sometimes I think we all feel like we need to live out loud you know, yelling and screaming and shouting and cheering and um, and sometimes for good things and sometimes because we're moaning about something that we don't like, but you just have that quiet confidence. And I think that's something else that folks listening to this podcast can can learn from. How can, how can you be a cheerleader in that spirit that is really you being you, helping others be more of who they can be? Because that's, that's one of the best definitions, I think, of being a Truest Fan. So Phil, thanks for being on the Truest Fan podcast. I really enjoyed our conversation conversation and we'll talk real soon. Take care. Thanks, Rob. I appreciate the opportunity to speak to you today. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. 